nature is like one of the most important things that we can do, but also recognizing that nature is pretty harsh. Mm. If we totally listen to nature, nature tells us this would have 10 babies because only three or four would make it to adulthood. Right. So, you know, we have technology now. We have resources that can save children and why not use them? So I believe home birth is a philosophy, mm. not a place. That's Daphne Singing Tree. And this is the Rain Studios Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rain Studios Podcast. I am Rain Reed, your host, and this is my podcast. Uh, Episodes 7 and 8 are going to be Daphne's Singing Tree. A healer, medicine woman, herbalist, midwife, mother, grandmother, wise elder, mentor, entrepreneur, just off the top, and so many more things. This woman is incredible. Uh, Just being in the room with her was such a gift. And then having the honor of three hours of recording with her over the course of two visits was sensational. And we're actually neighbors. Uh, which feels pretty good. She's like lives like three minutes away when we were scheduling the interview and she gave me her address. I was like, oh, oh my God, I can feel her healing me <laughs> just down the street. So um, anyway, I'm attaching her bio. So please have a look. I got a couple links for her in the show notes and I'm just going to read a little bit of it here to give you a little taste. Daphne Singing Tree began studying herbs at the age of 12 when she left home to live on her own. It was the 70s. It didn't seem as strange as it, then as it does now. Uh, this is her, by the way, I'm just quoting her bio. Um, she was in the middle of sixth grade, and that was the end of her formal education. She did what is now called unschooling, which is reading books, travel, learn what she was interested in, things like herbs and midwifery. When she was 17, without any formal course study, she passed her GED and didn't go to college until her late 40s. So then what's crazy and awesome is that she becomes deeply involved with midwifery education and the law in Oregon. Um, She's the author of a handful of books. One is the Birth Song Midwifery Workbook, which is what we're using in our midwifery study group. Highly recommend it. Um, Also, the Emergency Guide to Obstetric Complications and uh, Training Guide, um, Training Midwives, a Guide for Preceptors. She's a pioneer direct entry midwife. She was a founder um, and board member of Midwifery Education and Accreditation Council. She helped write Oregon Midwifery Law. She served on the Oregon State Board of Direct Entry Midwife, of, of Direct Entry Midwifery, and was the chair of the Education Committee for the Midwives Alliance of North America, which is MANA. So some pretty big deals from... Uh, Yeah, from her, um, you know, so not so formal education and then just coming out to be an educator. So in love, just uh, inspirational story is um, what that is. Uh, She's the founder of, or she was the founder of Birthsong School of Midwifery, the Oregon School of Midwifery, and the Aviva College and Zanian Center. So Daphne, um, I mean, the list goes on, like, so please please look at her bio is the point. Um, Her connection with her Lakota heritage is a really beautiful, mystical and magical part of her story. And she gets into that in the show. So I won't go into it here, but it's really amazing. Um, 
And it's Daphne's balanced relationship with traditional midwifery practice and the momentum of modern medicine and scientific research is what makes this conversation so refreshing. Um, She's got a lot of scientific data and facts and knowledge to back up her opinions. They're not just, um, you know, emotional. It's like very data oriented and uh, the births of her own children. So she has four birth stories of her own. Um, Two were home births and two were hospital births. And she tells these stories on the podcast with such humility and honesty and love. It's so amazing. It's so amazing to get to um, hear those stories from her. So thank you, Daphne, for that. Um, Eagle Tree Herbs is her company. So uh, like I said, when I went to meet her, it was at her house and um, she's got a pretty sizable permaculture garden going on in her backyard and has been, um, you know, selling herbs and tinctures and making all this, um, at a commercial grade kitchen that she built up in her own house. Um, it's really fantastic. And then, um, just recently, right before coronavirus, she started, uh, studymidwifery.com, which is a platform for anyone who is an aspiring midwife, doula, birth worker, um, or even if a pregnant mama that just wants to know, right? You want to know from the inside. And this platform is amazing. We're actually using it for our midwifery study group as well. Um, so again, that's studymidwifery.com. Links to all of this in the show notes. Um, this conversation is just mind-blowing and amazing. And again, it's two parts. So it's going to be episode seven and episode eight. Just a little bit of housekeeping here um, from me. I want to say thank you to Jeffrey Roniger, who was um, episode six, my teacher and mentor in the yoga world. And um, just to say, like, have a look at him. Remember, he's given us, he's a sponsor of the Rain Studios podcast. So we get uh, the listeners of this show get 20% discount on his new offerings online. Um, and there are links to all of that in episode six show notes. So remember you get 20% off if you're looking for an incredible yoga teacher. Um, he's, he's, is one of them. Um, and if you're digging on me and you would like to see, um, from me and my yoga teaching offerings, um, Jeffrey inspired me. (laughs) I've, I've been terrified of the, uh, technological platform for, maybe my whole life, but, um, and he was like, man, you got to get on zoom. You got to just do it. Just do it. So super stoked this past week. Um, I did my first two classes on Tuesday and Thursday, and I will do another one tomorrow. Um, I know this episode is going to air on Monday, so I don't want to say it, but you know, so it'll be last Saturday. Anyway, the point is every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I will be teaching, um, yoga class, um, one and a half hours, or sorry, an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and it'll be starting at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So, um, and I'll open the Zoom room a little early at like 9.45 um, for questions and for you guys to see each other in the community. Um, and then also I'll hang out in the Zoom room after for a little while for feedback and comments and anything like that. Um, and the payment situation is just Venmo. So it's Rain Read. Um, and you can Venmo me there, and it's a sliding scale, so in from five bucks up to 20 for a drop-in class um, in the Zoom room, and um, yeah, I just hope to see you there, 
Uh, it's been really fun. I, I didn't realize that this platform could be so personal, but um, it really is. It's really, really cool to be able to um, see people and interact um, in this very strange time that we're going through of coronavirus. So I hope you're all uh, staying hydrated and getting lots of rest and eating from your garden or someone else's. <laughs> and um, yeah, without further ado, the mystical, magnificent Daphne Singing Tree. The Honorable <laughs> Daphne Singing Tree. <laughs> so you were saying that you felt that birth what was the bold statement that My you... bold statement is that uh, what has happened to birth um, in this country or in the West, in the Western world, is the root of the problem, the root of humanity's problem. I can definitely see that. And it's, <laughs> unfortunately, it has expanded from the West to get gradually all over the world. Yeah. And... <laughs> And it's there's some really basic things that we learn from natural birth that we can um, take into other parts of our life and health, yeah. and that and the loss of those are the things that interfere with our health and our life. For example, um, it's this balance between nature and technology. When a woman gives birth um, naturally, one of the things that happens is, is in the course of a natural labor, she's in a fair amount of pain. And in that process of having pain, there's all these endorphins come into place. And when I say endorphins, I say that because that's one of the brain chemicals that we understand. There's this very complex and very mysterious mm. compilations of brain chemicals that we now understand a part of. We understand oxytocin, for example, mm -hmm. you know, that that's the love hormone and that's about attachment. We understand endorphins. We understand, you know, serotonin and dopamines. And we understand just these, these, these certain brain chemicals. Mm -hmm. But there's many, 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 many more that haven't been identified or that may work synergistically with each other. But we do know that when somebody labors naturally, what happens is, is that the woman gets um, all kinds of oxytocin, the most amount of oxytocin that gets put through the body ever, mm -hmm. which also goes to the fetal brain. There's this, and there's also one of the things that happens with during labor is there's actually an exchange between mother and fetus mm. so there's there's this this exchange that happens with some of these chemicals mm -hmm. chemicals is just a broad you know statement for what sure. this stuff is and the process of giving birth they get all of this and then the process of delivery uh, also you know um, going through the birth canal and then being exposed to, you know, now we know about microbiomes, mm -hmm. you know, right, um, the tip home, of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, uh, home birth midwives have been saying for, for, you know, years and years not to wash babies off, right. you know, and to put babies directly on the mother and, you know, the importance of that connection. Mm -hmm. But that whole process is really critical for the development 
of humans as human beings, yeah. of being interconnected with each other. Like one of the things that's interesting is is that there is you know a big autism epidemic in the Western world, which I don't believe it has anything to do with with vaccinations, by the way. Oh. But I I absolutely d- disagree with that one. Cool. But I discussion. But I do think it does have to do with and this is simplistic and it's not going to work in every situation. Sure. But it makes sense to me that normally people have these these hormonal <coughs> and 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 chemical biochemical exchanges that happen during natural birth and natural labor mm-hmm. that are being interfered with so those attachment hormones what's a, a, a typical autism response is this lack of attachment that people, you know, that kids have an inability to, you right, know, eye contact, contact and not wanting to be touched. And mm. what is, you know, what is oxytocin? Oxytocin is the love hormone. Mm. So if that's interfered with on really basic levels, when those brain chemicals, those important chemicals that happen in the process of, 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 of becoming, being a healthy human mm-hmm. is interfered with. Mm-hmm. and stopped, then there may be something that's like, you know, oh, the kid is perfectly healthy mm-hmm. until a certain stage of development when there's something quite not there in the process of human development yeah. or something not quite or the whole spectrum. And I also think that screens play a role in that. You know, there's some really good evidence about the roles of screens in autism. Like this kind of screen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, like babies, you know, babies and children being exposed to screens is definitely, you know, um, there's some so there's some good evidence that, sh- that shows that role in in um, in autism as well. Wow. So, um, I'm not gonna, I am not going to be so, um, uh, I'm not going to say, oh, I know the cause of autism. Yeah. You know, but I, what I am going to say is, is that from my studies of what, over and over I see the same thing, that when you look at how humans have been for 10,000 years, mm-hmm. 20,000 years, 30,000 years, and then you see what's happening now... And you see that disconnect. Mm-hmm. That microbiome is a really good example. Such a good example. You know, of when we go back um, to um, to learning about what people did and how people developed, then we're going to get a better. We're going to see healthier, better outcomes. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's not. And you know, of course, I'm a proponent of 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 home birth. I was a home birth midwife for, you know, most of my, most of my life. I started very young and, um, and, uh, you know, promoted, uh, midwifery for, for most of my life in part because of that shared belief that when a baby is born with as little, you know, uh, intervention as possible, 
um, into a, a space where it's like a loving, peaceful environment where they can come up out and not be separated from their parents. And all of those things, those are going to set imprints that are going to help make... The, those are going to be imprints that are lifelong, you know, that, that are going to make a difference, that are going to, you know, babies born in, you know, peaceful, joyful surroundings make sense to me to be more peaceful, joyful people. Right. I also know that, and this is one of the things about midwifery, and lots of uh, of natural stuff is is that listening to nature is like one of the most important things that we can do but also recognizing that nature is pretty harsh mm. if we totally listen to nature nature tells us would have 10 babies because only 3 or 4 would make it to adulthood right so you know we have technology now we have resources that can save children, and why not use them? So I believe home birth is a philosophy, mm -hmm. not a place. Huh. You know, sometimes it's appropriate to interfere, intervene. Sure. You know, and I learned that personally because I had my first two kids at home, and then I actually was teaching a class and was talking about what kinds of conditions would happen if, to make me personally choose to have my baby at, inside of the hospital? Mm -hmm. Would I have a preemie at home? Mm -hmm. You know, would I have a breach at home? Would I have twins at home? Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we, we went through, Ooh, yes, you yes, know, tell we us went, all. <laughs> yeah, we went through, you know, all of this. And I was like so radically home birth. Yeah, I might take the risk of losing my child in order to have a home birth. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were listing off complications. And I said, well, maybe if I had a placenta previa. Mm. And guess what I had? It's in a preview. Wow. And for your third. For my third. Wow. Um, and um, um, and I... Uh, for, the, I thought, for the listeners, can you just, like... Uh, that's where the placenta it. is coming first. Right. And I thought, oh, well, they must have done something, you know, prior to, you know. So, and I happen to have a stash of... Um, I collect really old medical books and old bit of so I have cool. some from, you know, the 1800s cool. and, you know, the really, you know, really yeah. old, you know, really old stuff, you know, 1922, you know, what mm -hmm. did they do? They sometimes would cut the placenta, reach in, um, uh, grab the baby's feet, bring it out, which would almost always kill the baby. And sometimes if they were lucky, would save the mother. Wow. So I was like, okay, I guess the spirit is make is giving me a you know, mm -hmm. this reason to have you know a, a cesarean and a family centered, you know, to try to make it as family centered as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. So I had my third child by cesarean. Wow. You know, I had a number of admissions with bleeding, and wow. um, I ended up um, being very lucky where my child had. Um, uh, had really nothing wrong with him. He had some minor, minor little problems, but really, you know. Um, and then he turned out to be this like really amazing and incredible person that mm. just about everybody who's ever met him totally loves him. Mm. I was at a Halloween party yesterday, <laughs> and somebody said, "Oh, you're Taryn's mother, right? I worked with him. He works with special needs kids." Mm -hmm. I worked with him a couple of summers ago 
and he was such a great guy, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know, and here she's telling me about, you know, this coworker that she had months and months ago. She came out of her way to tell him, you know, tell me what a special guy he was. And that's always been the way that he has been. Every mm -hmm. teacher that he's ever had, everybody who's ever known him has just always gone on about what a great guy he is. And I think about, you know, the world being um, what would have happened if he wouldn't have been in it. Right. And, um, you know, of course, every mother thinks that about her children. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I have, you know, all four of my kids are just wonderful, amazing people. But um, I think about um, the times that I've known in terms of home birth midwives and midwives who particularly get their ego wrapped up in the fact that yeah. that the baby has got to be born at home right. and take risks that are um, uh, unreasonable yeah. and bad outcomes happen, yeah. which, you know, affects the whole process of, of birth. If mm -hmm. you look at the statistics of home birth in Europe where midwives are very integrated into the into the entire healthcare system, you get really good outcomes. Right. When you look at the statistics in the U.S. in situations where midwives are not legal or they don't have privileges or they're not integrated into the healthcare system, our our statistics are not that great. Right. You know. Uh, you know. If you pull out all post-dates babies and all, you right. know, you know mm -hmm. all, all, all the risk factors, sure, mm -hmm. our statistics are wonderful. Yeah. But if you add those in, then what you're getting is a truer p picture, and what you're getting is, is a picture of, of, of midwives that um, uh, put their own zealotry above the health of mothers and babies. Right. And and that, right, I have so many things, like, bouncing around my head, but it reminds me a lot of um, a dear friend of mine, Jackie Samel, who works in, she works in with Wrongfully Imprisoned. Mm -hmm. And her whole spiel, you know, usually boils down to the binary system. It's very unnatural, you know, like, this is the way or this is not the way. That's not, that doesn't really go in nature you know mm -hmm. like there there are sure there are some things like it's light or it's dark or it's night and it's day but it doesn't just flip from night to day you know there's the gradual periods of sunrise uh, dusk and dawn and so transitions and what I'm trying to say is it's just like you said it's not home birth or hospital it's like let there be room for all and every and in between mm -hmm. as long as there as it's done with the ego aside and really like love and kindness mm -hmm. being the shining star of, mm -hmm. of the, of the realm of birth because wanting to care for the outcome of the mom and baby. Absolutely. And I feel like I've said it before, like I haven't yet met a midwife that has said, um, you know, just like the middle finger up to the medical system. I haven't, you know, like every midwife that I've spoken with says, you know, there is a time and place and we're really lucky to have them. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, trying, trying to have it at home is, is there is like step one, you know, for home birth midwives. But I, but I agree with, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. It's, it's everything you're saying is like blowing my mind 
as I thought, <laughs> as I thought would happen. I have like all these questions down. And I'm like, wow, she's just going through them all. <laughs> and I haven't even had to say anything. <laughs> okay. Well, what's one of your other questions? Oh my gosh. No, you're doing, you're amazing. Um, what's cool is I, I, well, actually your birth story as in, what do you know about when you came into the world? Well, I came into the world in 1958, okay. and so things were very, very different. They still used scopolamine, which was like twilight sleep. Oh, God, yeah. Um, the mothers and babies were very separated for sometimes up to 10 days. Oh, yeah. You know, it was, you know, it was really horrible. I don't know much about my birth story other than the fact that my mother said that she had to fight to see me and to keep me, mm-hmm. and that, um, and that she was like totally appalled by breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. sort of you know, and I remember what, the first time I probably was eight or nine years old. The first time I ever even heard of anybody breastfeeding, and that was you know, that was like something that was like, you know, so un, you know, so part of. Uh, and, you know, I was raised in Utah where a lot of people had babies. Yeah. There was a lot of babies. Lots of babies. Yeah. It's like baby central <laughs> over there. Yeah. We almost stayed in Utah and we had, and we met a midwife. Uh-huh. Oh, she's amazing. Katya. Um, she, cause then I said, maybe I want to do this. And uh-huh. she goes, oh, great place to have it. Great place to study to be a midwife because the the level of baby having is so high. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for Mormons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I wasn't a Mormon, but I was, I grew, did uh, live in Utah for the mm-hmm. first uh, 12, uh, 12 years of my life. So I don't know a lot about my, uh, uh, a lot about my birth story. And then, you know, Do I think you believe I, that some of that, that hardship is like ingrained? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things that happened in my generation is this thing, you don't hear about it anymore, but there was this thing called the generation gap. Hmm. And that's when in the 70s, in the late 60s, in the 70s, everybody grew out their hair, left home as quickly as possible. Everybody Mm -hmm. was out of the house by, you know, like I left home earlier than most, but most people left home at, you know, 17, 18, Mm -hmm. you know, 19 years old. They were out of there and they had really very little contact with their parents. Right. Because their parents were like, oh my God, get a haircut, wear decent, you know, clothes, go to church. Yeah. And so there was this thing culturally called the generation gap Mm. in which People just did not relate to their parents. Yeah. You know, there was a saying that was around the saying, don't trust anybody over 30. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, you know, that was a big thing in the, you know, 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, a big part of that. And, and, and it's so different now. The relationships that I have with my grown children as opposed to um, the relationships, well, I, my relationship with my mother was very different than most people, but most of my peers had different relationships with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times that was sort of resolved when they started having kids, mm-hmm. but there still was this large period of disconnection, this yeah. generation gap that I do think may have had something to do with this, you know, lack of breastfeeding, lack of, um, you know, uh, you know, twilight you know, births, yeah, twilight births, um, 
you know, being separated from you, you know, this lack of bonding, just being physically separated from your child for the first, you know, days and weeks of yeah. their life. So I do think that that does play, you know, mm -hmm. does play a part. Yeah, I was um, a cesarean. I was uh, breached, and but it was scheduled, mm -hmm. you know, um, so no natural labor and and that, and then I had a heart murmur, so I was in the incubator and and when you were talking about autism, I mean, I definitely don't have autism, but I do feel uh, like I struggled with drugs and alcohol for a long time, and mm -hmm. you know, just and it's like I've heard oxytocin say the love hormone, but then when you said the attachment hormone, then that's sort of where it, you know, it like struck a little bell in my head because now. I have this whole theory and this thing that keeps me up at night where I want to do like the new AA, mm -hmm. which would be instead of Alcoholics Anonymous, it would be attachment awareness. Mm -hmm. Because I think it, in some capacity, all of us struggle with attachment. Mm -hmm. um, and where that roots from, it certainly could be different for you know everybody here. But I think that, that, that this story, like I wonder how many people that had, you know, that have traumatic entries into the world then really struggle with attachment um, as young adults or even adults all the way into being older. I think that makes a lot of sense, but it also birth is only one piece of that. Only one piece, totally. So another piece of it, though, is how humans are supposed to develop. And I'm saying supposed to in looking at historical, you know, history of 10,000 years mm -hmm. is in close kinship and tribal groups. Yeah. So we're supposed to be constantly held right. and held not only by our parents, but by sisters and brothers and cousins and aunties and uncles and grandparents. Right. You know, we're supposed to be Doused held, in love. <laughs> you know, held, you know, by grandparents, by why we are parents are working in the fields right. or, you know, out, you know, skinning the hides or whatever mm -hmm. and, you know, being told stories by the grandparents or being, you know, carried by an older sibling. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, um, if you, I was, I was in Guatemala in the seventies, very different now, of course, you know, um, uh, Guatemala, Mexico, I was in Guatemala, Mexico in the seventies. And I remember seeing there was always a sibling with another sibling carrying another sibling. Mm -hmm. You so know, great. you just saw that, you know, mm -hmm. whether there was a kid on the street selling chiclets and mm -hmm. have another little kid, you know, yeah. um, on their hip. Wow. I mean, but that was a very typical kind of, you know, thing that we continually saw. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I have, um, couple of grandkids mm -hmm. and I have um my granddaughter Coral is the same same age they were born a day apart as the same day as my grandson um Forge cool. and they're about the same age as your child okay um they just turned two and Coral was always a totally fussy baby mm -hmm. she was always fussing mm -hmm. she's just you know not not the happiest child where mm -hmm. Forge is like totally mellow, totally happy, yeah. you know, always smiling. Well, Forge has um, four um, other siblings. Mm -hmm. 
older siblings, three teenagers, um, and one um, other one that's, I think he's 10 now. Mm-hmm. So he's had, you know, since he was little, this, you know, constant array of people who mm. loved him taking care of him. Right. Where Coral only had her parents, mm-hmm. you know, who were, you know, great and loving and, you know, she had, you know home birth, you know. Um, um, uh, so, you know, they were b- both born at home or actually Coral was born on the ambulance. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she started out at home. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, in any case, um, they had this, um, uh, that difference, I think, you know, I've sort of seen, and, you know, there's always just personality changes, and it may sure. not have anything to do with it. But I just think that, that part of what we're experiencing is this shift in how um, human communities are. And then, you know, so there's birth is one piece of it, but growing up is another piece of it. And then growing up without other people and other connections. It's essentially isolation. Uh, Isolation. And it's, and it's, which sounds like, you know, so, ah, like, you know, you're not in a, you know, concrete box, but yeah, two parents and a child doing as much as they can. And then a lot of a lot of isolation, yeah. And what the temptation is, and I don't know if screens were so available when my kids were little, I might have been tempted too, because I remember being overwhelmed as a parent, you know, Mm -hmm. and wanting to, you know, oh, I just need, you know, ten minutes to take a shower or whatever, you know, um, is to um, is to put your child in front of a screen. You know, give them a phone to play with, give them a game to play with, put something on TV, put a movie on. Oh, it's a cartoon. It's fine. It's educational. It's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, but that continual screen, you know, and there may be a certain amount of that that is fine. Yeah. You know, there may be some, you know, some of that that's okay, but it's how much of it, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, how much of it, and, you know, like the new research particularly for children under two, mm-hmm. is is not good. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I find very fascinating, you would think that somebody like me who's super into permaculture, you know, has a home birth background, you know, natural medicine, you know, that's kind of my thing. Mm. Um, I also am very fascinated with technology mm-hmm. you know I read science fiction all the time mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice you're a so, Star Wars nerd? like yeah, that yeah yeah like oh that. my god yeah Star Trek more Star, Star Trek, Trek. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's awesome yeah. but I read I read sci-fi all the time okay um and um and, you know, and I have a fascination with, you know, oh, maybe humans will someday go to the Mars or, you know, like, you know, um, or I think that our chances of saving the planet is not going back to the way we were, totally. but there may be technological solutions. Wait, oh my gosh. Are you into um, Lord of the Rings? Yes. Okay. So like the elves uh-huh. or like, I guess more like the elves, really. Like I love the hobbits, but... But it's a it's teamwork. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. We're not going to go back to living mm-hmm. like in the forest. We right. would probably fail. Like it wouldn't be good. There's this guy who says we can't go. Or, 
we can't go back to living immersed in nature, perhaps, but we can live naturally in this advanced environment. There is, you know, this sort of like, like, can we, yeah, because I mean, we're, we're doing this podcast on two iPhones right now, <laughs> and I'm really grateful that I didn't have to bring in a bunch of equipment or, you know, yeah, like, and there's so much amazing power and knowledge coming from technology and coming from, in a sense, moving forward. Like if you were to look at our trajectory as a species linearly, but I think that, you know, thinking of things linearly or binary is kind of what gets us in trouble. And, you know, remembering that it's like a sphere, remembering that it's 360 degrees and, you know, that there's all this room for reflecting on the past and looking to the future and, and doing it you know, holding hands with ourselves and with each other. Well, that's why I think that midwifery is a really good example yeah. of of where we need to do in terms of healing the planet. Because yeah. a midwife, what a midwife really does is listen to nature, mm-hmm. learn from nature, and be, and there's really simple things that, like, a midwife knows... For example, one of the things that I would always do whenever I'd walk into a laboring room is turn off all the lights. Yeah, my favorite thing to do. You know, (laughs) is is that artificial light, you know, like, you know, we're really not meant to be in bright lights. And that lowered light may influence the production of endorphins, for example, or other kinds of, you know, I say endorphins, but I mean this, you know, this soup of, of... of of hormones and chemicals mm-hmm. that we don't fully understand. Right. So the the lights are one aspect of it. Getting somebody up and moving, making sure that they're comfortable in their own space. The you know having women around them. Um, you know using you know um, you know massage and heat and all of these other kinds of you know techniques that nature used. Mm-hmm. Um, those are. Like, like that's how midwives listen to nature. Mm-hmm. How they balance that with technology is, is they'll bring out their Doppler and listen to the heartbeat yeah. through a contraction and, you know, see if, you know, how the baby is responding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the baby's running into trouble for any reason, then they, you know, will arrange transport when, you know, cesarean sections, you know, you wouldn't be here doing this podcast. Exactly. You know, I mean, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly a number of C-sections, particularly in like Brazil, who has 50% cesarean rate, um, that are unnecessary, you know, probably 10%, 15% are really necessary. So there are, you know, there's certainly a lot of cesareans that are given for reasons um, more about the medical um, insurance industrial complex, you know, more for reasons of, you know, nobody ever gets sued for giving an unnecessary cesarean, but people get sued all the time for not doing a cesarean quick enough. Right. So, you know, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of those being, being done, but one of the things that, that balance of that midwives do is this is learn from nature and then know when technology is an appropriate um you know uh an appropriate intervention totally you know we um you know we do that with permaculture too i Mm -hmm. really find that permaculture studying permaculture was a lot like studying midwifery for Mm -hmm. me is is that one of the things in 
in nature if, and in the human body that you learn over and over and over is, is that about the homeostatic mechanisms that birth comes. I mean, nobody who has witnessed a birth can, can be anything but utterly amazed that yeah. a baby came out of there. Totally. You know? We, Whoa! You I, know? And I say this all the time, but I'm like, we just walk around thinking that this is like, oh, yeah, you just, oh, that's your mom? Oh, yes. You came out of that person. Like, you came out of that person. My mom is at home with Wolf right now, babysitting. I came out of her, and he came out of me. Like, yes, how can we all not believe in magic? Like, how do you even, how do you even trip over the word like that's magic like I am so comfortable saying that it's magic and that it's inexplicable and yeah like you're saying when you say chemicals or endorphins or you know oxytocin these are all labels that we have given these things that we know maybe something about them but like holy mackerel we don't know anything we don't know. We know. There's so much that we don't know. There's so There's much so, we don't yeah. know. But we do know certain things. Like we know yeah. that our eyelashes keep dirt from falling into our eyes. Totally. And that you know, we don't totally understand what the appendix does, but someday we will. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, we know that foreskins are there to keep the head of the penis from being, getting scratched by rose bushes. Yes. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like every single thing in the human body has a homeostatic mechanism. There's yeah. a reason for it. When there, when you get a cut, you know, the, the there's a blood clotting mm-hmm. process that happens, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then there's white blood cells to help prevent infections. There's all kinds of homeostatic mechanisms, but yeah. then there's sometimes where for whatever reason, that those homeostatic mechanisms are not enough. And that's when technology or human intervention is, you know, the the order of the day. And it's help, you know, like technology or intervention. Like these are, I don't know, to me, like they're kind of big and kind of, you know, scary words. But like it's help. It's it assistance, help. you know, it's or it's encouragement. It's... It's, you know, maybe I have attachment to words. Maybe well, here's, here, here's another word that it is, is it's progress. Progress, yeah. It's progress it's and it's, um, and another, uh, uh, it's progress and it's, um, it's the where... It's evolution. Evolution, yeah. You know, where we are heading towards as a species. Mm-hmm. That's why I like sci-fi. I like the idea yeah. of possibly going to Mars, you yeah. know, or going to other uh, other planets. And, Expanding. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we start at this place of nature, and then where we're going. Like, for example, I, um, in the 80s, thought that... Um, I try not to swear too much, so Me I'm too. saying um, <laughs> when the um, the paradigm shift is like when everything collapses. So I say, I say when the shift hits the fan. Oh, nice! Yeah, when the shift hits the fan, I'm gonna borrow that. Yeah, so <laughs> I thought the shift was gonna hit the fan in the '80s. <laughs> I was convinced, you know. So we bought t- 26 acres way out in the mountains. Nice. Drove up my little school bus. There was nothing there. Oh had God. to, you know, dig an outhouse, dig a spring box, you know, try to, you know, we built a little cabin out of nothing, out of like 
boards that we found on the side of the road. You wow. Know, we were totally broke, had oh no money. God. It was like, you know, and um, it was really hard for me to practice because we were so far out in the mountains, I couldn't get down to, into town. So oh. it, it only lasted, you know, a few years out there. But one of the things that I realized was is how difficult it was to live off-grid. Yeah. And... If I could get through an entire day and everybody got fed and bathed, that was a good day. Mm-hmm. Living without hot running water, living without, you know, um, living without machinery. I mean, all of that is, subs- and even if everything would have went really well, it would have been subsistence living. Yeah. You know, if any of us would get thrown back in time, you know, a few hundred years, even a few hundred years, you know, you know, would we have the time and effort to do these creative projects, to make art, to make music, to, you know, to... Um, to put together really incredible educational programs where we're learning about, you know, all kinds of things that, you know, doing research, all of these things that we're able to do that creates our modern life. Mm -hmm. These are things that are the evolution of our species. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, part of that evolution of the species has come back into, you know, there has been... Greed and malfeasance and all of those things that have happened, particularly, you know, corporations, you know, have become the new, you know, um, uh, you know, bad guys of the world. Mm-hmm. And they've done some real damage and continue right. to do damage and have the potential to do new damage, particularly in the ways of controlling water and controlling resources yeah. you know so we you know we do have those sort of things those big boogeymen kind of things that we have to you know look out for mm-hmm. but as a species this evolutionary process has created the ability to be comfortable mm-hmm. and to you know have resources and have time and do all of these things that you know give us this, this you know this comfy life, comfy mm-hmm. li- comfy life. Yeah, you know that's uh, actually one of my things that I wanted you know to touch on. As you are beautifully just going through it without me having to look, but it's a question that I've asked quite a few midwives: comfort and pain, and 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 how do you, yeah? And I guess you've already said it, but you know because midwifery and natural birth is such a great example of of the necessity for the pain Mm -hmm. you know um because because of what happens in in the process of natural birth like you take the pain away and the the chemicals don't happen right right so there's this and it's so it's kind of like a microcosm like natural birth is a bit of a microcosm for like everything in that sense where some of the pain is necessary for the process. But also part of what, what happens is, is that, that if, for example, we were going to go to a village somewhere in, in, in Africa um, or some other place that, that had natural births, maybe they have midwives, but, you know, pretty much epidurals are not a happening thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets an epidural. Mm-hmm. Everybody that has a baby 
Somebody's going to say with their first baby, oh, did it hurt? Somebody's going to say, yep, it did, but, you know, I got through it. Yeah. And everybody around them, every woman that comes around them, their aunties, their grandmas, their sisters, their friends, are all going to talk about birth in the same way. Right. Yeah, it hurt. But, right. oh, well. Big whoop, yeah. You know, that's the way life is. Exactly. You know, you get through it. Yeah. And that becomes the normal. Right. That becomes what's expected. Right. And, and, but then you take somebody out of that environment and you put them in an environment where, like, nobody ever hurts ever. Right. We have no concept of pain. And nobody, or you know, like it used to be when I was doing midwifery, it was really big. There's a lot of people having their babies at home, and people created support groups, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed is, is a, I had a fairly big birth center where we had, um, and a fairly big practice at one time. I had a low key practice for a number of years, and then I had a fairly big practice here. Here, yeah. Um, I had one of the first um, birth centers in the um, whole state that had uh, water tubs. And oh, wow. one of the very first licensed birth center in Lane County that was run by uh, a direct entry midwife. Wow. But anyway, when I had birth centers, we had, I had different childbirth education teachers come. Okay. And teach different classes. And I noticed that a group that had classes with the Bradley method, somehow those people had less C-sections, less hospital transports than people who took classes from the Lamaze method. Hmm. And I thought, well, why is that? Why is that? And then I also seen this, and then we did our own classes, which were like home birth focused classes. And those people hardly ever went to the hospital mm-hmm. and had very low rates of C-sections. Mm-hmm. Because what happened was this peer support. Yeah. And peer support was, seemed to be, to me, one of the more critical aspects. Of peer support and family support seemed to be a really critical part of successful home birth outcomes. And the, the visual that I'm having right now is Guatemala and the kids with the kids with the kids again peer support right exactly yeah so you know we um you know we have learned in the process of you know and that's really changed a lot now everybody has epidurals right and everybody's expected to not be in pain right and, and, you know, and then, you know, once somebody gets an epidural, then it's this whole, you know, cycle of interventions that leads to more C-sections, and then mm-hmm. it leads to, you know, you know, a variety of complications, and, you know, um, you know, and I think it may play a role in autism. I'm not saying that epidurals cause autisms, but they're, but they're you know, it certainly ha- has a role in it. I, yeah. th- I certainly think that anything that um, that nature's got a really perfect system. Right. Nature systems sometimes can be cruel and sometimes kill people. So you have to be, be aware of right. when, you know, you, you, you want to listen to nature, pay attention to nature, and yet sometimes be um, uh, uh, 
no inter, inter, interfere. Mm-hmm. Like now I do a lot of herbal medicine and natural medicine. Right. And I have interns that come to me to, to, to study natural medicine. And so, you know, and they're oftentimes, they're young, they're, you know, in their 20s, and they're, you know, full of, you know, um, you know, all zeal, zeal, <laughs> you know, and I like doing it because it reminds me of my midwifery students, too, but yeah. it's also, also about this, oh, I would never go to a doctor, I would never take antibiotics, and, you know, um, and, um, like, if you have a cold, for example, um, and um, I probably don't have to. Oh, I. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna send a message. Um. um sorry. Okay. Um, if you have a cold, you want to kind of pay attention to what your body normally would do. You want to normally boost your immune system. So you want to take herbs that are going to strengthen your body to do what it normally would do. You know, you want to take some, some, you know, elderberry to fight the virus or, you know, maybe if it's a respiratory thing, you want to take some melacampane or some, you know, some, you know, whatever other, you know, you want to take some nettles to boost your immune system, whatever herbs that you want to, want to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and that generally will work. Mm-hmm. Generally, if you work with your body mm-hmm. to boost what your body would normally do by itself, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know taking a drug that's going to remove the symptoms, taking something that's going to help your body produce its own immunities, right. you know, boost its own immune system. It's going to you know help release. You know, um, open up your your respiratory passages to you know allow phlegm to come up. You know, to to, to work with your body's natural responses, mm-hmm. you're it's gonna work. You know, most of the time, but yeah. on occasion, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And somebody can develop an infection. They can develop bronchitis. They can develop pneumonia, or they could die. Right. You know, so knowing at what point to interfere and to get. Um, to get um, whatever intervention may be appropriate. And sometimes that intervention um, is involves, you know, some kind of uh, medical technology that is, in fact, um, progress or um, uh, innovation and... Um, Kind of where we're going in the future evolution totally you know yeah so you know that's i know i feel like i went somewhere else that's why i only think about the elves again from lord of the rings because that group of of individuals seem to have been working with nature and progressing tremendously mm-hmm. you know like i just have this vision of like what if you know what if instead of like cutting trees down to build our homes, like what if we found trees that were, you know, in a configuration and then bent them in and then they started growing together? I mean, this is like in my dreamland, right? But you well, know, well, not necessarily. You know that the, um, you know that um, the natives that lived in the northwest, mm-hmm. they lived in longhouses, right? And they cut 
pieces of cedar, but cedar bark from trees, but they didn't cut them all the way around. Mm. So they didn't cut trees down yeah. to live to build their longhouses. Right. They, they used, borrowed pieces. They used existing pieces of wood. They didn't have big saws. Right. You know, so they lived in longhouses in 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 harmony with nature. Exactly. So, you know, one of the things that we can learn from is indigenous wisdom. Yes. We can learn from ancestral wisdom. You know, there's a lot that that has to teach us about the interactions with plants, the interactions with the earth, the interactions with the water, you know, all of those, all of those, um, uh, all of that ancestral knowledge is very important for us to learn to live in harmony with nature. Mm -hmm. But living in harmony in nature doesn't necessarily mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater, that we don't look at innovation, technology, but we also have to look at every time that there is something like that, is every time a new technology comes apart, comes into place, there's... It's a double-edged sword. You know, there's mm -hmm. some good stuff. There's some bad stuff. Right. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah. you know, like I love TV. There's mm -hmm. some great TV. I spend, you know, yeah. way too much time, yeah. you know, watching great movies and great TV. <laughs> and sometimes they make me think about, you know, oh, wow, I never thought about this before. Mm -hmm. You know, watch some kind of documentary that just blows my mind and, yeah. you know, is super helpful. Or, or even some fictional de depictions that make me really think about, you know, a different way of, you know, more. On the other hand, I spend too much time doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a double-edged sword. You right. know, I'm, you know, I could be exercising or gardening or, you know, or, 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 or making something, yeah. you know, totally. <laughs> you know, instead of watching TV. The balance that's yeah. so hard to achieve, right? Yeah. Well, and that's where I feel like, like practices like yoga and mm -hmm. meditation are really helpful because, so again, when I come back to the comfort and pain, even your reference to having the common cold, um, is a great one because I think everybody can relate to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're, like, I'll remember this example when we were living in the truck and we were in between homes and, and I got a cold mm -hmm. and I tell you, I couldn't breathe. You know, it was like the kind where like your nose is just mm -hmm. so stopped up and I couldn't breathe and it was making me angry and it was making me uncomfortable and it was like I wanted to cry and scream and everything. And, um, and you know, being patient and drinking some nettle and, you know, taking the, you know, and I always eat like a, I literally will eat like a whole bag of oranges mm -hmm. because of the combination of vitamin C mm -hmm. and B vitamins and all that. You know, I read it somewhere and heard Dr. Richard Schultz talk about it for an hour and I was like, yes. But the point is, 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 you know, I could have taken a Sudafed right. and I could have just numbed it. I could have taken two Advil, Sudafed, whatever. And what that would have done is like, or I mean, maybe had we not been living in the car, you know, then I could have gone and taught, you know, three yoga classes and I could have done all the things that I quote unquote needed to do. But because we were, you know, we were actually like living at a campground at that point it was mm. it was the perfect time to really kick on the brakes you know and I had to really just lay there mm -hmm. I couldn't even go for a hike but I had to just lay there and I think that 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 
that what a common cold even a lot of times is telling you is, you know, your immune system is down because you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. And what you really need is to relax. Mm -hmm. And what you really need is to, like, tune back in to nature. Mm -hmm. Give yourself a break. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, it's really, people don't like to do that these days. You don't like to give yourself a break. You know, (laughs) you're either working too hard doing this or, you know, not saying no to this. And and so what that ends up coming to, voila, is always the self-care conversation so what does self-care look like for you well self-care I'm not so good at self-care that is the worst thing I'm good at I'm much better about talking about how people can take care of themselves Mm -hmm. but you know one of the things that I learned from one of my very earliest teachers and is kind of one of my uh, philosophies is, is is that you know, you first have to heal yourself mm-hmm. before you can help heal others and to work towards healing the earth. Mm. That, you know, healing yourself is really the, you know, the start of it all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just something that, that you know, I, I totally struggle with. Mm-hmm. I totally struggle with my weight. Mm-hmm. And I was in a car accident a few years ago and quite a few years ago now. And... um and it, uh, I uh, broke both my legs. Wow. And got, um, ended up with metal all in my legs. Wow. And then I got traumatic arth- arthritis in both ankles. Um, so, and it started where with, um, I struggled with my weight, struggled, struggled, struggled years, and I decided to have weight loss surgery. Oh. And I considered, speaking of addictions, yeah. that, you know, food was my drug you know, pizza is my drug of choice. Yeah. And, you know, I just, you know, one of the things about addiction is, is the, one of the definitions that I like to say is, is when you persist in behavior despite adverse outcomes. Yeah. So somebody can drink every day and it, they're not an alcoholic, but mm-hmm. if they drink and um, uh, lose their job or get a DUI mm-hmm. or, you know, or, you know, feel sick every morning, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, um, then that's an addiction. Right. You know, if you are, um, overweight and totally healthy, you know, it may not be an addictive process, but mm-hmm. if you know that you shouldn't be eating certain things and you continue to eat them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, despite an adverse outcome. Right. So I decided on an intervention of having um, uh, weight loss surgery, mm-hmm. and it worked pretty well at first. I lost a bunch of weight. Like a... What, what kind? Well, I had the vertical gastric sleeve, so basically I had them just... Uh, they shrunk my stomach so I was wow. only, okay. you know, I could only eat a super small amount of food. Okay. I didn't get the rearrangement one because I wanted to have something that was less interventive. Yeah. Um, and um, I uh, lost a whole bunch of weight and then my heart rate started going down. Hmm. Um, and because my heart was used to being in a bigger person. Wow. And I was driving and my heart rate dropped and I... Um, crashed my car and got this, um, um, got in this accident where I broke both my legs. And, um, I, um, uh, still, um, struggle with, and then I ended up in a wheelchair and ended up getting, gaining the weight back Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then gradually your stomach gets bigger and bigger so I can eat a normal amount of food. Mm. And I, now I'm in pain 
every day. And largely, if I had had less weight on my legs, mm -hmm. I'd be in less pain. Right. But I still struggle with that. So, mm -hmm. you know, doing, so I have a number of self-care things that I need to do every day or I can't walk. Like I have to, um, I have, I make a, uh, an herbal thing that I put on my legs every day. And, oh, wow. You know, and I, you know, take herbs every mm -hmm. day. And so if I need to do all of these things every day or I wouldn't be able to function. So I, there's a certain amount of self-care that's kind of required, but then there's some self-care that I really ought to do mm -hmm. that I don't ever get to. Mm -hmm. And I think it is harder for women to really focus on self-care because we have this thing yeah. about taking care of others and I totally. also think it's hard for our mothers. Yeah. You know, so it's really, you know, one of the first things that you learn as a mother is somebody else comes first. Yeah. That's, the, you know, one of the very first things that, that you learn. So to, to take that back and to say you come first is a really hard thing. It's amazing, yeah. You know, it's like when you're in a plane and they say, put your own mask on. Yes. about <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that all the time. You know, so, you know, um, it is, um, you know, so, you know, taking care of yourself is probably one of the hardest things that, that I think people have to do. I think particularly hard for for mothers, and I found it the most challenging and difficult thing for me, and probably the thing I fail most on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's... she says it with a big smile. <laughs> 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 no, you know, it's it's interesting. It's, 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 you know, there's so many sayings that, you know, so many people who are, like, healthcare providers, or, you know, like, you see it a lot in nurses, and clearly midwives and, you know, people who devote their lives to helping others all largely struggle with taking care of themselves. And it's just, it's like the conundrum, you know, but then I feel like there's so many conundrums like that in life. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also, you also see that you find exactly what you need is what you do, mm -hmm. you know, so exactly what you need is like, when you come from a traumatic birth, for example, is go and be a birth worker. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you, you, you find what you need, you know, like, you're saying you struggle with food, but then, like, but your world is about herbs and ingesting, like, things that are really good for you. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, like, the yin and yang and mm -hmm. the balance. And, oh, it's just, you're blowing my mind. I knew you would. I've literally <laughs> been, like, a little, you know, like a little... Chihuahua with my tail still <laughs> wagging, like ready to meet you. You know the Daphne singing tree. Like we're and I'm nerding out, but we are in a a midwifery study study book, and and she wrote the book. That's what I keep saying. She wrote the textbook. She wrote the book for our midwifery study group, and and you know like, and you're a superhero to me. But then oh, and but you. but and then you're like, but I have a weakness too, you know. And it's just so it's so earthbound. It's so like good to remember that mm -hmm. that you know we all have our Achilles heel and yeah we we all we all definitely definitely do. What's funny is is that I think about um, this concept of of you know, do what I say, not what I do kind of thing. Mm -hmm. My mother do, says that. Because <laughs> I do um, talk to people about, you know, because I talk to people about health a lot and herbal medicine, I don't, um, I'm not a clinical herbologist. People don't 
I don't charge people to come and see me about mm-hmm. their health issues. Mm-hmm. I do charge for the herbal medicine because I have a little herbal business, but mm-hmm. I prefer not to. Standing Rock sort of spoiled me for just giving away stuff, so mm-hmm. I hate, I actually hate, you know, giving, charging for, for medicine. But people yeah. do come, and I do talk to them about their health and, you know, nutrition and uh, is is a part of it and I thought it was really interesting that prior to going to Standing Rock and um and and treating you know hundreds if not thousands of people a lot of them were native people mm-hmm. I um you know saw you know mostly white privileged folks here and I would typically get this kind of a response yeah, I have gluten and sensitivities, or I'm allergic to this, or I have this kind of digestive problem, and this is, you know, this is all these things about my diet, mm-hmm. and all of these things are relate. All these health problems that I'm having are all related to my diet. Mm-hmm. And then I, I saw a lot of Indian people, and not one of them mentioned their diet. And, you know, a lot of them have pretty terrible diets. For mm-hmm. one thing, there's no health food stores any, anywhere in the Dakotas. You have to drive 100 miles to get to an actual grocery store. Mm-hmm. They're all food deserts. Yeah. You know, very frequently they really had, had no concept of, uh, of natural foods. I mean, the Indian staple is fry bread. I mean, you yeah. can't get, you know, much yeah. more type 2 diabetes than, than, bread, than fry bread. Um, <laughs> but... Um, um, and that's why one of the things that's really exciting to me, and what I'm one of the things I'm really interested in is 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 this resurgence of native foods yeah. and thinking about ancestral diets. But um, one of the things that that um, I realized is is how many people create you create your own reality, and you also create your own health problems with this over focus on it. 100%. And so you know that's why I. Um, I actually wrote, did my first little meme on my Facebook thing, which was what a flexitarian <laughs> diet is. And it's eat mostly plants, mm-hmm. occasionally eat things that eat plants, mm-hmm. and try to stay away from foods that are made in plants. <laughs> That's funny. That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's adapted a little bit from Michael Pollan. Oh, nice. And, yeah. Um, but that's it, like super simple, mm-hmm. you know. And I think if people got back to, you know, that that got back to that, I actually think that that eating meat, particularly for if you have come from somebody like me with a lot of Lakota backgrounds, you know, a lot of ancestral diets were pretty heavily on meat. You know, yeah. buffalo was a big part of people's diet for a long time. Yeah. But you know, when we look at the planet, certainly, you know, eating a lot of meat and factory farms in particular, not so good. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, um, but I think that people who, you know, follow like a really strict vegan diet or a really strict, you know. Again, it's like binary or black and white or. Yeah, exactly. All or nothing, like yeah. hospital or home, vaccines, no vaccines. Like, yeah. You know. It's, yeah, you're like riding your horse right off a cliff. <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. You know, people who have um, a little bit of. Um, People need a fair amount of flexibility, I think, um, in order to be healthy. And, you know, um, and also, you know, we need to look at, you know, how people evolved. And that's why I go back to things like, 
you know, in terms of diet. People mm -hmm. mostly did the bulk of their diet um, in certain areas were plants. There's some exceptions for certain kinds of, you know, certain, you know, certain places in the world ate mostly fish or whale blubber. Had or, to, or, yeah. Or, you know, or bison, but, you know. I find I feel, I mean, I feel better when I eat meat. Mm -hmm. Like I and like, and I mean, you can hear my in my voice. It's like I say it like, oh God, someone's gonna judge me, you know. But I can feel it, and I'm mm. I'm pretty in touch with like how I feel. I focus mm. on it a lot, um, and like bone broth is something that I just I really can't. There's nothing that makes me feel almost. It's like I feel nothing. Like I feel no interruption in my gut mm -hmm. if I have like a bone broth type of. Mm. meal. Mm. It's the most soothing. It's the most, I don't know. And, and that makes a lot of sense from, if you think about how people developed, you know, I continue to go back to that, yeah. you know, is how did humans develop? How mm. did, you know, what kinds of foods were we eating? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I do think that people can create their own problems. For example, all these gluten allergies, you know, if you are allergic to something, the worst thing that you can do is almost always is to completely avoid it. Right. One of the treatments for allergies is to slowly Just, yeah. get a small amount of it. Mm -hmm. So people who, you know, have gluten sensitivities tend to make it worse by avoiding gluten. So, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm... Um, like a lot of Native folks are um, lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. But I have a little bit of milk in my coffee mm -hmm. um, because um, if I don't, if I completely, if I switched over to a plant milk and I never did milk, then whenever I would do even a small amount of milk, it would like, yeah, flare you up like crazy. Yeah, I mean, and, and it still does. If I eat, you know, if I eat a bunch of ice cream, I will get, you know, how I will definitely feel it. Yeah. But so I, you know, have have learned, you know, that I do have to keep it in, you know, in balance. Mm -hmm. But I also, you know, try to not, you know, buy into it, ter you know, a terribly amount. And mm -hmm. that's that's what I think people get so focused on whatever their you know, their dietary thing is. That's why I think people just really need to simplify it for, mm -hmm. you know, for good health. You know what I love? And uh, his name is Graham Hill. And it was a long time ago. It was a TED Talk. I'm going to send it to you. Mm -hmm. It's the weekday vegetarian. It says it all. Uh -huh. You know, five days a week you eat predominantly plants or all plants. And then two days a week, you give yourself a mulligan, and you can eat, like, a cheeseburger and a pizza. Uh -huh. But if the whole, you know, if the whole United States of America, for example, would just do that, mm -hmm. it would be as if, like, 75%, I think that's how the math works, went completely vegan. But no one has to do that. You see, it's like, uh -huh. it's exactly what your meme is. It's like a slight, you know, it's a different variation on your meme. But, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Just, re yeah, reduce... Reduce it. Don't cut it out all the way, you know. Especially, you know, if it in, if it brings you joy. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there is there also a, a component to that? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that that's certainly. I think that that's certainly a component. There's certainly a component in being flexible, not being stressed out. Flexitarian. Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot <laughs> what the word was. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. um, and then also, um, um, you know, they now even it's even in the DSM. There's a there's a mental disorder of eating clean. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Um, Wait, can I pause you right there just sure. because I drank too much tea and I have to use the potty again. Okay, good. Pause, um, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, so when you were helping at Standing Rock mm -hmm. and no one spoke about diet, what did they speak about? A lot of people who have health problems, well, I mean, I dealt with a lot of respiratory issues at Standing Rock because everybody had them. Right. You know? yes. <laughs> that was, you know, the primary thing. Right. So, um, but um, um, people had a lot of pain issues. People had a lot of issues, um, you know, the chronic health problems that people have um, really um, are, are a lot relevant to the level of stress that people were under. And then, you know, and then, you know, just the general kinds of health issues that people everywhere have. And, you know, one of the things that happened at, at Standing Rock, which was pretty great, was is that it was very intertribal. I mean, there was a lot of local people from the Standing Rock reservations and the nearby reservations that came. A lot of Lakota people were there. But there were people who came from all over the country, actually all over the world, um, and a lot of people, you know, who are urban folks that live in cities and, you know, have the same kinds of, you know, issues as, as everybody else. But certainly people who lived in the reservation had um, more chronic health issues having to do with the um, not getting good health care from the Indian health system or not feeling adequate. Like, the, you know, the drive was too much. They didn't get, you know, like the diabetics were very often very, not very much in control. The same thing with folks with, with, with asthma. You know, it was a little bit third world mm -hmm. that we saw um, with health conditions that were undertreated because of the lack of uh, good health care. Mm -hmm. That was certainly, you know... Certainly something that, that, you know, there are health conditions that go along with poverty. Right. And, you and know, I'm not talking... It's a big emotional component. Right. And yeah. I'm not just talking about poverty of um, lack of money, but the lack of being able to um, access the kind of care the kind of information, the kind of foods, the kind of um, resources that, you know, that we among the, that we um, uh, privileged folks have. Mm -hmm. Even though I have Native heritage, um, I have um, a white heritage too, mm -hmm. and I have lived in... Oregon uh, most of my life mm -hmm. and so I try not to speak about native folks in the same I don't have the same worldview as I would if I lived on a reservation right you know I don't I I still come from 
even though I've been, you know, poor and on food stamps most of my life, I still come from a place of privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I still come from a place of, of, um, of having, um, like, for example, if I go somewhere and I give people my driver's license and they say, oh, Daphne Singing Tree, are you native? And I say, yeah, I'm part Lakota. They'll say, oh, cool. My mother was part Cherokee. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I only get positive feedback for being Indian. Mm -hmm. That was very different when I was, um, um, when I go back to South Dakota or North Dakota, Mm. where I'm really faced with, you know, total racism, where you can sit in a cafe and nobody will serve you, you know, where people follow you in the stores. I mean, it's very different back there mm. um, if you're Indian than it still is. Still today. Still today. Oh, absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of racism towards, um, towards folks. When I was um, at Standing Rock, I went into town to do laundry or something, and I had... Um, I had a couple of, um, I had, you know, the car was full of, you know, of my, um, Indian friends and we were going in to do laundry and we, um, uh, passed a checkpoint and we were about to get stopped and, uh, the young man, um, everybody was totally freaking out and I was like, why? We're not doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have any drugs in the car. Mm-hmm. We don't have any guns. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't broken any laws. <laughs> you know, like going to do laundry. laundry. <laughs> yeah, it was there. And they were so freaked out. Yeah. And the reason why is, is that Native people get killed by the police more often than any other minority group. Um, you know, for these young men... You know, getting stopped by the police is, you know, very scary because they could get killed. Wow. You know? And so, you know, it's so living with that kind of stress. Yeah. Living under those kinds of circumstances is really good, by the way. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Is such a completely different thing Mm -hmm. than what we go through. I mean, we have to think about privilege um and it's not just do we have things yeah it's, it's how, how we're treated it's how we're treated how we live our lives what we're afraid of what kind of stress that we are are going through do we expect that we're going to be able to always have electricity or is it going to get turned off right do we expect that we're always going to be warm enough Mm-hmm. Do we expect that we're going to be cold? Do we expect that we're going to be hungry? Mm-hmm. Do we expect that our our friends and family are not going to get killed? Mm-hmm. Do we, you know, expect that, you know, um, we're going to see people die from, you know, alcoholism and suicide and and being, you know, killed by the police? Mm-hmm. You know, is that something that's part of our everyday lives? Yeah. You know, and and most people, most white people, don't ever have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the where privilege comes from, and that's where why we don't um, we don't think about you know. I mean, what you're describing. So my my last podcast guest. You might know her, mm-hmm. Dr. Catherine Clinton. 
She's a naturopathic doctor in Eugene, or mm-hmm. in Springfield, I guess, mm-hmm. and she had uh, babies with Anita Rojas. Uh-huh. And um, she's awesome. Mm-hmm. You guys would totally... Uh, what's my point? Ah, her whole... She came to the um, Oregon Midwifery Council statewide meeting and mm-hmm. did like a little presentation mm-hmm. on the microbiome. Mm-hmm. And her whole thing is that it's about trauma. Trauma is affecting the microbiome. And everything you're describing for the Native people, they're living a life of just of constant trauma. And it's, and it's historical trauma. There's trauma like being passed down mm-hmm. from generation to generation. It's locked up in there. And then they're experiencing it on a daily basis. So... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so trauma is certainly, oof, you know, um, like makes me, you know, uh, have you heard of this um, thing called ACEs where it's a, um, you go through a, a, a set of questions mm-hmm. um, about your, uh, it's um, adult children of, I can't remember what it stands oh, for. Oh, yeah. You know, but it's like, it, it's a questionnaire for adults of what kind of childhood trauma that you have been exposed to. Right. You know, yes. and you know, you can, you know, there's a scale of, you know, yeah. you answer these questions. And I was really shocked when I first went went through it. I went, oh, yeah, well, I wasn't totally surprised that my, my score was really yeah. high. But it's also very interesting to see how many people have those kinds of really high scores. Um, that come from minority uh, backgrounds mm-hmm. um, and what kinds of health effects they have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some really clear evidence that people with high ACEs scores have really serious kinds of health issues. There's, you know, and this is one of the things that when we're going back to this concept of progress, innovation, and um, what was the other word that I used? Evolution. Uh, evolution. I wrote it down. Okay. <laughs> when you know, when we get to that the, that thing, one of the the aspects of that is evidence based medicine, mm. and that's where midwifery really shined. Yeah. So midwifery midwives said, "Oh, we don't need episiotomies." Whereas for years and years, episiotomies have kind of gone by the wayside. But when I was first coming up in midwifery, everybody got episiotomies. Right. And, uh, and, um, and I was told by doctors, oh, yeah, they're easier to sew up. A cut is easier to sew up than a tear. So there, that was like one of the reasons right. that, you know, people got sewn up tighter and they were better. And, you know, yeah. I mean, there was this whole thing, totally. you know, and then it took evidence. It took years and years and years of research to show that a pediatric is, you know, caused pain during intercourse afterwards. It caused pelvic floor problems, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, that there was lots of, you know, so episiotomies are, you know, rarely done now. Right. Um, and they've kind of gone by the wayside, but that was due to having evidence. Yeah. And, you know, what evidence-based medicine. People don't always follow evidence-based medicine. Mm-hmm. Another good example is, is back surgeries. So back surgeries are done very commonly, but if you look at the evidence, the evidence shows that people who have back surgery have 
less of a good outcome than you know they did they did studies that showed people who did things like yoga or seeing chiropractors or did other kinds of you know um other kinds of you know natural remedies as opposed to people who had the surgery mm-hmm. and people who did the natural remedies had better long-term effects than people who actually had the surgeries right. but does that change them from doing the surgeries not really mm-hmm. people are still having you know people are still having back surgeries pretty frequently mm-hmm. so you know uh, so some practitioners do follow evidence-based medicine mm-hmm. and and that's one of the things that that um, sometimes people get into a tradition like midwives for example we had what I grew up in midwifery we had this thing where we would do this stretching of the perineum mm. to stretch it out to, so the head would come through and and we would spend hours hours with our fingers in women's mm-hmm. you know stretching and doing the hot oil getting you ready. know getting ready so we wouldn't need an episiotomy mm. and we were totally into you know that this was the way and then somebody did a little research study. It was not a very big study mm-hmm. that showed that it didn't help prevent tears. Mm-hmm. I said the landline. Um, that's the landline. That's awesome. I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, I get so much spam, I totally ignore it because um, it's almost all spam. Oh wow. Yeah, but it's the business phone, so I keep it. But yeah. I don't know how much longer because it's all mm, right. It, it kind of feels like nice, you know. It's such a homey home, and then like the landline rings. Yeah. So, um, uh, and midwives were very slow to adopt that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, well, I haven't kept up with a lot of stuff in midwifery since I retired, but mm-hmm. you know, a lot of midwives were still doing that technique, even though the evidence showed it wasn't very effective. Right. Because people kind of stay. It's very hard for people to change. change. You know, if they get taught something that this is the right way to do it, and mm-hmm. then they start doing it, they all, all, all will also often see the results that they, Want you know, see. see. It's like confirmation bias. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, um, you know, we need to kind of be aware of that as well. So one of the things that that I'm super excited and into. Um, as somebody who's um, spends a lot of time um, around plant medicine, is to see how much new research is coming out about it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of that research is being funded by supplement companies. Mm. So you know, it's always you know, it's it's somewhat um, skewed. Yeah, you know, you have to kind of look at it, you know, yeah. um, with that eye towards you know where did this you know what where did this evidence come from mm-hmm. but the fact that there are studies and research and um are and evidence is super important yeah you know and you know that's why um but that can also be somewhat misleading oh, again the vaccination mhm you know People can read studies, even if they're not a very well-done study, mm-hmm. you know, but it's confirmation bias. It, right. teaches, it puts back, them back into, they already have this belief, so they find this thing that supports that belief, right. you know, as opposed to looking at the whole picture. So one right. of the things that I think that 
everybody needs to do is to be um, conscious of this ability to be um, to have critical thinking skills and to be um, aware of of this this balance between listening to nature, being learning about um, ancestral knowledge, um, indigenous wisdom, learning uh, knowledge of the elders, listening to all of those things. I think is is gives us some really important lessons that we have lost in our modern lives. Yeah. That we have a lot that we can really learn from that can help balance out stuff. But also being aware of of you know these other aspects of these modern you know modern lives. Mm -hmm. I was at a workshop not too long ago about um, harvesting acorns. Hmm. And was learning all about the acorn harvesting that you know people around here ate you know a lot of acorns yeah and you know it's kind of a little bit of a process to get acorns for food mm -hmm. because they you have to leach them you know with with, with water they're not edible by themselves mm -hmm. how people figured out how to eat them and do that is always really amazing you know. Um, uh, Pretty, a lot of time. Yeah, a lot of a lot of time. And trial and error. Um, but part of it, um, part of this, uh, some uh, sometimes some people leached them in different methods. Some did them whole, and some ground them up. And we were talking about various methods of grinding. And the teachers of the workshops said they used just regular kind of grain grinders. Hmm. And um, the question was, what what was was brought up how you know how did the in indigenous people did it and um i'm not exactly sure because that's not something that i've really s studied and it wasn't my tribe but um i i mentioned and everybody sort of laughed at that 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 if um if they had grain grinders they would have used them yeah and um the that the point of that is is that <laughs> that people um have tools now that make things so much easier mm. that I mean acorns are amazing food you know wow. they have they're yeah. really high in nutrients they're you know there's a really good reason that people did all that work to have that. them as you know a basic part of uh, part of their diet mm -hmm. and I, I really think that it's pretty cool the the effort that people are are, are doing and are trying to kind of integrate some of these um, native foods back in back in their diet mm -hmm. but why not use you know the tools that we have at hand that save so much labor yeah. like i was talking about before when i lived in the woods and you know had to haul water and you know heat you know water yeah. on top of the chop wood to heat water on top of the wood stove to just you know give the kids a bath mm -hmm. i mean it was such a big deal mm -hmm. you know to be able to do that, right? You know, 
it was so much easier to turn on the faucet and the hot water comes out. Yeah, you're so grateful. I mean, if you go camping for, you know, a weekend or a week or whatnot, and you get back home and you're just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> just comes out of the wall like that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And to be, yeah, grateful for the progress. But so I've written down, so ancestral wisdom, indigenous wisdom, ancestral knowledge. How do you think we get back? How do we how do we get that? Well, I don't know if there's ever get going backwards. Yeah, there's no. just going forwards. forwards right. How but, do we but, how but do it's we just see learn, it? Learning to um, learning to really listen, and I think some of it starts with listening to elders. I just posted a video on my Facebook page, and this friend of mine, Peony, um, is Japanese, and she grows mugwort on her little farm in Elmira. Mm-hmm. I don't know who Peony is. Uh, I don't. Well, I mean, I've I've heard of her, but I yeah through yeah. your website or through your Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, she um, she's Japanese, and she had her mother, who's like eighty six or something, um, over, and they did this little YouTube video of her asking her mother how she used mugwort. Cool. And I forget the Japanese name, but they used the Japanese name. Mm -hmm. And she had all of these different things that Mm -hmm. she used mugwort for, which I had no idea. Mm. You know, that they did baths, and they cooked, and they made it, and they used it in this dish, and that dish, and I was like, really? Uh, I was quite surprised, you know, because I'm, you know, consider myself fairly knowledgeable (laughs) about herbal stuff, but there was so much stuff, and then she talked about how her mother had used it wow. and her grandmother had used it. So there's this 86-year-old woman that talked about her, the uses of her mother and her grandmother. So cool. When I was at Standing Rock, one of the things that I did um, uh, is, you know, I'd give people medicine and, you know, usually people were coming for respiratory stuff. And I'd say, well, what did your mothers and your aunties and your grandmothers give you? And sometimes people said, oh, and they would give me the name of an herb. And I had, I brought my um, ethnobotany book so I could look up the native name of the book and figure out, you know, oh, that's Osho Root or, mm-hmm. you know, that's whatever. Uh, but sometimes they were like, well, Vicks or, you know, they, so much knowledge was lost with the boarding school generation. Yeah. So we've lost a tremendous amount of ancestral um, uh, and indigenous um, mm. uh, wisdom and knowledge from from the boarding school generations. You know that's you know probably never coming back. But there is still there are still elders out there. There are still people who have that knowledge and that you know whenever the opportunity brings itself to learn those things. Mm. You know, that's what, what we, you know, we need to do. And I think that there's some really simple and really basic things that that we know is really, really true. And one of the things that we need to think about in terms of ancestral knowledge is, is part of it is in, part of what we think about is indigenous wisdom, indigenous people are, means that they're part of that place, they're part of that land. They know, you know, what grew there, what foods grew there, but that's to that particular place. Mm-hmm. Many people have ancestry that is European, mm-hmm. and that people think, oh, 
being Indian is cooler, so I don't really want to think about being Irish. Right. You know, or being, you know, English. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of those people everywhere had really, you know, sometimes you have to peel back a layer of church, you know, to right. get to find your Vikings <laughs> and be happy about it. That's what my husband always tells me. He's got, like, we did our 23andMe, uh -huh. and he's the everything. Mm -hmm. He is, like, the coolest, most amazing blend. I mean, indigenous, Polynesian, Mongolian, <laughs> uh, Iberian Peninsula, Sub-Saharan African. He's literally got... It's everything. It's the most beautiful. It's the most beautiful 23andMe I've ever seen. Oh, that's great. And mine is the most boring. <laughs> you know? Or, so, you know, so I say. But, yeah, I'm like a Nordic mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. 100%. No, 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 nothing but just that, like, upper, mm -hmm. you know, European quadrant. And, like, and I'm sitting here. Yeah, it's like uh, a, a friend of mine who used to work for me. She's amazing. She's from Mexico City. She used to say, man, all these people with this degree in white shame around here. <laughs> and it's kind of true. But, and so Damien was like, embrace it. Absolutely. You're a Viking, you know, you figure it out. Like, and, and so then what you were saying, like the bone broth, I mean, it makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, I was coming from a cold, you know, uh, a cold climate where, so like plants would be only a seasonal option and a lot of fish, and a lot of meat, and a lot of bone, and a lot of, mm -hmm. and it makes sense, and it's, and it is cool, like, when you peel back the church layers, that's very funny, I like that. But, you know, if you, it, there's a lot of um, interesting um, people, you know, people, particularly women and plants, there's a lot of relationships, you know, that women and plants had historically, unfortunately, and, you know, a lot of women um, herbalists were midwives. They were the, um, they also cared for the the death and dying. Mm -hmm. But those women were often branded as witches and burned. But right. you know, some of that knowledge is still around. Yeah. You know, it's still findable. Yeah. And do you have that? Do you have a list? Do you, or do you have a? I would love, because what I'm going to do, for example, with this, so I haven't even gotten to talk to Daphne about the podcast, mm -hmm. but I, what I, I do like an intro, mm -hmm. um, like not sitting here with mm -hmm. you, but I explain, you know, who you are, how I found you and, you know, sort of a bio. And then, um, it's linked on the website. So there's going to be like a show notes category, mm -hmm. which is going to be your website, your Facebook, you know, anything that you would like, if you're mm -hmm. writing a book, things like this, that, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the workbook on there, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And it's links to everything. It's mm -hmm. links to your permaculture, you know, um, do you call it apprenticeship mm -hmm. or internship internship? Yeah. yeah. You know, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, and so what I'm getting, you know, so when people listen to your, to this, to this podcast for you, like they will get links to all of the things that you want them to have links to. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, you know, um, and so what I'm thinking is like, and as I said to you earlier, when I was explaining to you what the podcast is about, the podcast is evolving. I don't really even, I mean, I know what it's about sort of, but like it's taking me in all these different directions mm -hmm. and a huge yeah. focus. And when I, I haven't, Anita and I have spoken. She hasn't mm -hmm. been on the podcast yet. 
but ancestral knowledge and, and indigenous wisdom, and this is all very, very important to me mm-hmm. as an individual, but then I think, and also to this whole podcast, you know, it's important to a lot of people. I think a lot of people are like, how do I find it? How mm-hmm. do I get there? And so what I'm wondering is if could we together, like, find mm-hmm. a list of people who I could... Do you know who Sue Sierra Lupe is? No. She does a podcast called Practical Herbalist, uh-huh. and she also is the clinic manager for Occupy Medical. Oh, wow. And she's, you know, both. Well, she does really extraordinary podcasts. Cool. Um, of, they do it's specifically all about herbal medicine, and she gets herbal herbalists from all over to talk about herbal Amazing. medicine. Amazing. But those are really great podcasts, and she's probably... She is very knowledgeable about herbs, mm-hmm. and she's, you know, a clinical herbologist, so if somebody wants to pay somebody for herbal treatments, that's who I recommend. Right. Okay, well, we'll put her in the show notes, too. Yeah, yeah. we can talk about it, but I'm thinking even, like, Peony, mm-hmm. you know, to get her on the podcast. and Yeah. You know, and because I feel like, so what I view the podcast as is a way to get ancestral knowledge storytelling mm-hmm. you know like essentially like we're we're having a conversation but a lot of it is like you know I, and I, I would love to have you on the podcast mm-hmm. again because I mean we could probably talk we could just keep talking <laughs> but um but you know is to have you can essentially find your tribe you know you can find you can find at this point with this incredible thing of the internet and this incredible technology and you know because so much of the immediate generations, the wisdom turned into a different direction and became, I don't know, not, not unwisdom, but, you know, like the meta, you know, like take a Sudafed or have an epidural is kind of the answer to, you know, the past two generations for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And finding, getting behind that and finding out, you know, or, or, and moving forward with, you know, like we keep saying, moving forward with it, and is it getting back into the forest? I mean, is it foraging again? Is it, you know? I think a a lot of it is, is a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think is really true is, is whenever people take a step towards nature, and get close to nature in whatever form that it takes, that is a way of kind of rebalancing people. Mm-hmm. For example, people who have um, uh, sleep disorders, mm-hmm. which a lot of people have sleep disorders, um, one of the things that can help reset somebody's sleep clock and really help with a lot of sleep disorders is to... Um, uh, is to um, sleep outside for a week, mm. you know, without any artificial lighting. Mm. And that going to sleep when it gets dark, mm-hmm. in dark, and staying asleep until darkness, and then waking up in the grad, having a gradual light waking them up, helps reset this, you know, this thing in our brains, and actually our livers are part of it, you know, it's like this. You know, again, there's this mystery chemical soup 
you know, that's in our brains and our bodies, that it's part of the homeostasis of keeping us healthy. Mm -hmm. And it's part of preventing depression. It's part of, you know, keeping us interconnected with other humans. It's mm -hmm. part of being healthy in our sexuality. It's part of sleeping well. It's part of eating well. It's part of all of that things. Mm -hmm. And the further away that we get from nature, the further away, you know, the further down that path, even though I have this, you know, appreciation for the road that we are going in the future, mm -hmm. I also see that ignoring uh, lessons from, from nature and the past um, is also problematic. Mm -hmm. Like, um, for example... I really love tiny houses. Mm -hmm. You know, I built a couple, you know, and I just am really into the whole tiny house movement. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't really want to live in one. I love my big house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too big of a person to live in one. So I don't want to live in one. But the fact that there's this concept of, oh, maybe we can live simpler. One of the things that's the best thing about tiny houses is it's really not about living in your house. It's about living outside. Yeah. People who have tiny houses, it's all about spending a lot of time outside. They generally have big porches, you know, and they, you know, are living in, you know, um, you know, on a piece of land or even in a backyard where, you know, they're interacting with the garden. They're interacting with being outside more. Mm -hmm. So I think that one of the very first things that people need to do in terms of having that balance between nature and technology is is just spending more time outside yeah so you know? simple yeah it's amazing just a, you know just really really simple stuff like mm -hmm. you know i you know i think that a lot of the problems that we have like you know depression and, um, you know, a lot of sleep disorders, uh, and a lot of sleep disorders can create other health problems. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, and we get back down to this, you know, thing like the microbiome, mm -hmm. you know, and we certainly learn that, you know, getting your hands in the dirt and being, you know, Gardening is one of the better things you can do for depression and for boosting the microbiome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, putting your baby out, you know, in the dirt and, you know, letting your kids play outside. And yeah. one of the things that they did research on, and they showed that people who have pets are actually healthier because the dogs go outside <laughs> and bring in some of the outside in, even though people yeah. don't necessarily go outside as much themselves. So I think that, that some of the balance between learning some of these um, things like, you know, ancestral knowledge and indigenous wisdom is, you know, yes, we want to learn from elders, we want to research history, we want to, you know, do those kinds of mental kinds of things as much as we can, but we can also listen to listen to nature, you know, be outside when there's a full moon and, mm -hmm. you know, um, Soak it in. and also be more connected with other humans. One of the things that we have done 
is isolated ourselves in family units and and don't interact with other humans very much. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty as that as much as mm-hmm. uh, as much as anything because because it's hard for me to walk mm-hmm. and get around. There's always something going on in town that I'm being you know a lecture. Or, you know, a music thing or, mm-hmm. you know, something going on and I don't often get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the kind of thing that helps people be healthy. Yeah. Is, is being around other people, being playing music or listening to music or dancing. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like if you think about um, how did people, how did people used to live? Mm-hmm. You know, they lived closely, in close-knit groups. They prayed together. Spirituality was a big part of their lives. Mm -hmm. They had music. They sang. They chanted. They danced. You know, they were, you know, outside in nature. Mm -hmm. They ate food that they gathered and grew themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, they... um, they uh, produced and prepared food communally. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they also had kind of different understandings of what women did and what men did. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that was, in our modern viewpoint, um, too restrictive and and. Um, you know, had a potential for, you know, abuses. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there were some things that were special and powerful in those divisions of yeah. gender. Um, and, you know, now we live in a world where gender has become a lot more fluid, mm-hmm. and so that is a d- whole different aspect. Mm-hmm. But when we look at um, ancestral knowledge and, and dis- indigenous wisdom, you know, one of the things that we will find is very specific things that... Um, both men and women did. Hey. Hi. Hey. <laughs> We're doing a podcast. This is Rain. This is James. Hi, James. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, That's all right. good. That's great. <laughs> just need to go out. Oh, yeah. Yes, you do. A human just <laughs> needed to go outside. <laughs> feeling very well. Oh. I have been sick. Uh, um, so, um, anyway, um, did you have another question that I didn't get to? Yet? Well, yeah. So the I, I yeah the one, uh, there's so many things, but I guess just to close us, I really would like to close um, with a, a bit of like a magical story, or you know what what do you what is one of your either birth stories or from natural medicine that's just one of those ones that kind of leaves you awestruck. I um, go to the Oregon Country Fair. Been going to the Oregon Country Fair. Love it. I went to first for my first time this year with my family. <laughs> so it's been like forty-seven years. Or wow! <laughs> really? <laughs> and I don't know. Some maybe thirty odd years ago. I don't even know how long ago. Um, there was a, a 
There's been a number of bursts out of the out, out of the fair, but this was one of the ones that was one of the better ones. Um, this woman, um, she was a couple of weeks early. She had had previous babies at home, and she, her midwife happened to be there. Um, and she went into labor, and she was in a tent in Energy Park, and there was five midwives that just happened to sh show up. I'm not sure where, where Dad was. He was right around there. I remember Dad. I just remember this tent with these, with these, these midwives and this woman um, uh, uh, kind of um, upright. Mm -hmm. And there was like one midwife on one leg and one midwife on another leg. And I was on her back and her midwife was down down here and we were you know she was kind of moving and you know we weren't even sure she was pushing and then the midwife said oh look here here it is and the baby just started coming out and as soon as the baby was born we heard down the path not very long and it was teddy bear's picnic and the baby slid out to teddy bear's picnic Oh my gosh. What year was that? Oh my god, I don't even know. Thirty years ago. Thirty years ago. Some thirty you know, and then every year this woman, you know, brings by this kid, you know, and it used to be, you know, she named her Lucy Peaches. Lucy you know, Peaches. And then she you know, she's a grown up now, maybe with right. you know, children of her own. <laughs> I wonder if she was I think Carla was um out of birth at the country fair this year. Oh, is she at this year? I think so. I mean, I don't think, I don't know. I heard some that, rumor of a birth. Yeah, there was a birth, definitely. And um, you know, somebody, I think Kristen, who had her baby with Carla, I think she told me that she was at the birth anyway. Yeah, that's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, oh, that's great. right. I heard about a birth. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, I do, I feel like we, we touched on a lot and, um, you know, I'm a huge fan and I'm, would really love to specify some <laughs> topics. Like I'd love, I really would love to do one um, on vaccination or where you, how you feel or not how you feel, but what. I you don't have. know if it'd be a whole podcast because I could. Okay. Yeah. I could tell you in two minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what I'm just trying to get back. <laughs> but um, thank you, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the delicious cookies and the tea and um and yeah. So and for the listeners, we will have. Um, a cool extension of show notes on the website. Um, uh, but like I said, Daphne and I, we just met, so we haven't even talked about it yet, but <laughs> they're going to be good. Stay tuned and thank you so much. All right, my friends, that is uh, the end of episode seven with Daphne Singing Tree, and we will bring, be bringing you more of her story and, um, and her wisdom her knowledge in next week's episode in episode eight so if you're digging on her definitely check out the show notes sweet bio um eagle tree herbs and studymidwifery.com are all on there um and just want to give a big thank you again to jeffrey um and uh, his online classes for sponsoring the show that's my yoga to go um, as well as Christiana Dancer at Dancer Voice Productions for making this show happen and riding my bum to get everything to her on time. <laughs> and um, to Justin Lane Briggs, also known as Justin Case. He tricked me for years 
in college that Justin Case was his last name, but anyway, um, he and his beautiful partner have just um, welcomed their newborn into the world back in March, and I'm uh, thanking him because he is the creator and um, artistic majesty behind our theme song, Um, and we're going to get him and his partner on the show to tell their war story um and definitely um, i'm gonna get his that the full track to the song it's an incredible incredible song that we um uh he actually made in college for um his girlfriend at the time becca caldwell uh and she did a dance piece to it in our freshman year and i'll just never forget it most incredible song and so when i was coming up with a podcast i reached out to him and asked if he would um you know, share the magic to make this podcast happen. So thank you, Justin Briggs, just in case for um, being such a beautiful artist. And um, we can't wait to hear from you guys um, on this show. All right, you guys, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And next week, see you next week. Thanks.